and welcome again to the Aegis Accounting Podcast. Uh, in this one, we're talking a little bit about IR35. Not in too much depth, it could be incredibly boring if we did. Uh, a little bit about jargon, speaking of IR35, jargon and how that affects how you do your uh, marketing in particular, and then a little bit about social media marketing and uh, what we're finding is useful for us as we're doing social media marketing, trying to grow our small business. Okay, IR35. Again, I don't want to spend too long on tech stuff, but IR35 has been getting in the news recently. It is all about, really, disguised employment. And what I mean by that is if really you should be employed by a company or an organisation, but in fact you're working either as self-employed or as a limited company, this is sort of disguised employment scenario is something that HMRC over a period of more than a decade has been uncomfortable with and has been trying to grow legislation to make it harder and harder to do. And IR35 is part of that. IR35, I think, is it's it's basically trying to get you to pay tax like an employee does if, in fact, you should be employed because your whole work setup is the same as if you were employed. And it's sort of controversial. The thing to remember, I think, about IR35 is that there are two different agencies at play here as to whether you're employed or not. To think, you know, two different bodies of the government that think about this. There's the Department of Work and Pensions who are worried about how you are, whether you're employed or not, uh, whether you are contributing to your own pension, whether pension contributions coming from national insurance contributions being made. You know, they have sort of that aspect on it. And HMRC are thinking about tax receipts and sort of what's going into the system through that and national insurance likewise. Um, so it's not just HMRC trying to take uh, extra taxes from contractors. There's a genuine messy middle grey area of employment where you might be brought in for a, only a contract, you might have a, a short uh, period where you're going to be working for a, for a particular client and rather than bring you in as an employee and have expenses HR costs, that company might decide to uh, con you know, contract your limited company for services um, for that period. Um, and IR35 is designed to sort of look at that scenario and suggest whether actually you should be paying tax like an employee or not. But it's not necessarily the same thing as to whether you should actually be employed from the perspective of employee benefits or not, because these two departments aren't perfectly aligned on what constitutes what. So it's a little bit of a mess. And it's an extra mess now that there's this introduced, new introduced worker status that has come from uh, trying to handle the scenarios where someone is under, for example, a zero hours contract. Um, maybe if you uh, work for one of those uh, platform companies, uh, self-employed as a zero hours uh, contract um, person, then you sort of know this worker status grants you some employment rights. I think that's what more that's to do is, but you're still going to handle your own taxes and whatnot. And plus, if you were working through a limited company, I think whether you fall inside or outside of IR35 for that is, is just complicated. There are tools to help, um, but it's all a little up in the air right now. And the reason it's all a little up in the air right now is because shortly before the last election in December, there was a, a bit of a loud, a loud cry from those who are self-employed or small businesses 
suggesting that no one was really talking to them about what the different parties would be doing to help small businesses, self-employed, um, what would you be doing? There was enough of a clatter that the political parties in the running started talking specifically to those in small business and the Tory uh, party decided to uh, suggest that they would review the IR35 rules that HMRC had previously stated that it would be putting into effect in the private sector from April 2020. Um, uh, HMRC has since said that the plan is to continue to put that into effect and the review will simply happen alongside and uh, who knows what will happen. Uh, I suspect really that was just a, not to be too cynical, but I'm almost entirely certain that that was just some words from a government, from uh, you know, a government that wanted to be re-elected into office and you know, will anything really come from it? Who knows, quite possibly not. The reason I think quite possibly not is because IR35 isn't new. A very, very long time ago when I was in, in working in the recruitment industry and I worked in the payroll office, it was a thing then, that was a, more than a decade ago, I think now. This has been coming for a long time. HMRC do not like the notion of disguised employment being creative with how you account for your own taxes if you are effectively working as if you were employed. They don't like that idea. They haven't liked it for a very long time and I think they're going to try and uh, do everything they can to claim what they think is the proper amount of tax from you if you're in that scenario. So I don't think that despite the little uh, conversations that happened, the non-committal will review it that came from uh, the Tories just before they were elected, I don't think that will amount to very much because it's been a very, very long time coming. But if this affects you, you could do a lot worse than to head on over to uh, IPSE, uh, I, I assume that's how everyone pronounces it, I-P-S-E. Uh, it's an organisation that has a particular interest in IR35 and always has done. Um, there are others, but uh, they are particularly for those self-employed contractors, those sorts that are affected for IR35. They've got a whole fantastic set of resources and tools. Again, I'll put a link to these, these things in the description in the show notes. Uh, really useful stuff. HMRC have their own uh, sort of checking tool where you can input your working uh, scenario and they will advise whether they think you should be caught or not by IR35. Um, but I think the, the, the big issue at the moment, the reason this is news now, uh, is because what's happened over the last year or so is they've shifted the liability for what happens when that's been done wrong. So if you thought you were able to be uh, efficient with your taxes and uh, they come around and say actually no you can't you're in disguised employment effectively and we're going to tax you as if you were a regular POI individual um, retrospectively we'll go back and do that and you will owe it the liability for that of course used to fall on you as an individual but that's an awful lot of people for, to chase think about the practical element of that how is HMRC actually going to chase every individual self-employed person who might be in disguised employment that's a mammoth task so as a practical measure I'm sure uh, they shifted the liability a year ago in the public sector to the public sector employer so for example if you were in the NHS and you were a contractor and you fell the wrong side of IR35 legislation and you should have been employed all along then the liability for that decision whether you are in or out and how to treat you was moved to your employer and so there was a big move for um, employers to figure out how they were actually going to deal with contractors where they're going to allow having contractors working for them or having them as clients as really would be a client company relationship for IR35 whether they would do that or not whether they would only employ individuals for roles um, 
that was very slowly dealt with in the public sector because I think the public sector is often very is like that you know legislation and things take a while to come into action and to how to deal with it. The private sector is far more active on uh, liability and we've had uh, public statements from you know large companies who have stated that they will categorically have no contractors. They just won't do it. That's a reaction. So the collateral damage from this shifting of liability, because that's what's happening in uh, April 2020, the liability is being shifted to the employer in the private sector. So all the private sector employees who would be affected by this, are uh, employers who would be affected by this, are having to decide how they will deal with it. And one of the ways they're doing it is saying, we'll have no contractors. So there's a big concern that there's going to be a lot of collateral damage to the economy from having to do all of this enacting the legislation. But as I say, it's been a long time coming. I don't think it's the kind of thing that's going to be easily swept aside by protests and demonstrations outside Westminster, which seem to be going on, or back of an envelope calculations saying it's going to cost the country two billion pounds. It was really back of the envelope calculation now, but it has been said. Um, I don't think this is something that is going to be easy to back away from. It's been coming for a very, very, very long time. Um, I think there are many who have the perspective that, you know, if you ran your own limited company and paid yourself in a tax efficient way with uh, dividends and salary mixed just the right way to pay the least possible tax, but effectively you're employed, well, the gig's up. You had a good run. I think there'll be lots of people who have that perspective. And I guess time will tell uh, how it actually plays out. It's partially political. Let's see how much clout uh, those people who uh, represent contractors have with government to make uh, changes to legislation, because that's basically what you'd need, because HMRC has been moving toward this for a very long time. Anyway, moving on. Speaking of IR35 and all things uh, acronyms, um, jargon. So I think jargon gets a pretty bad rap. Uh, I used to work in the telecommunications industry. Uh, it was an association and there was a move within the association to stop using so many acronyms in the kinds of things that we put out. Um, and I think I understand why. Jargon is, I think, a group identification mechanism. It's a special way that a certain group used to talk about a specific topic. And if you use that jargon, then you're declaring that you're one of that group. In the telecoms industry, using three-letter acronyms without further explanation frequently was, I mean, this is a form of jargon. It's a way of saying that you're part of the telecoms industry. And if you're talking within that industry, using that makes sense. But if, for example, you're an association, you might need to talk to policymakers who are politicians and not telecom industry people, then using three letter acronyms and the wrong jargon is a bit of a detriment to your message. So I think that's why that was such a move uh, back then. Of course, I, I theorize, I don't speak on behalf of anyone there making those decisions, but I have considered the importance of jargon when it comes to uh, marketing materials. You need to speak the right language to the audience you're trying to attract. This applies massively to us in accounting. If we want to talk about uh, concepts that are important to compliance with HMRC rules and regulations and all of this, 
but we're talking to an audience that's not familiar with all of those things and needs help with it, which kind of sounds like small businesses who want to be you know, clients of ours, then why would I use extensive jargon in that conversation? It doesn't make sense. I think I have to limit myself to HMRC, at least everyone knows what that is. Um, but I don't want to talk... The last piece where I talked about IR35, perhaps you were just thrown by the very acronym if you'd not heard it before. What do you mean IR35? That's what? Um, and people within accounting um, and I guess similar sort of professional services around that area will talk in these jargon terms. Um, we might even talk within in jargon terms about certain kinds of reports that an accountant might produce for their client. But the words hold meaning if you're part of that group. But your clients might not be part of that group. Your prospective clients, people you're trying to attract, they might not be part of that group. They might, in fact, be part of a different group. You might be needing to use jargon that speaks to them rather than the jargon that you use to say, I am an authority on accounting. I use accounting jargon all the time. Um, I don't think that's as useful as speaking the language that your audience knows how to understand. So I think you do sometimes have to ask yourself when you're making marketing material, am I, am I talking the right language? Does my audience understand what I mean when I, when I say these words? Does it mean the same to them as it does to me? Worth reflecting on, if you're producing marketing material uh, and maybe you're in a complicated service business or you have a technical product and you use a lot of jargon that is internal to that, um, uh, that industry, um, but you're speaking to people outside that industry, maybe you need to consider, do they understand that? Are they impressed by all of the technical stuff that you say, or are they unable to get the message? I think usually they're unable to get the message, which is why I like to be a very plain speaking whenever I can be, um, in particular when I'm talking about complicated stuff to do with accounts. So we want to talk human languages to small businesses that don't want to do uh, tax and accounting themselves and don't want to understand all of that jargon. It's not the thing they do. Um, that's important to us. One aspect, one place where I've seen this a lot recently um, is where you have different audiences that you want to talk to, but they have different jargons. If I record a video aimed for one audience and I speak in their jargon, and another video for a different audience and I speak in their jargon, okay, that, that makes sense. But let's say you come to our website or you listen to this podcast. This is for our general audience, right? But uh, the things I speak about need to make sense to these different audiences. And there's two in particular. I'm thinking about here. Small businesses and startups. And startups, and I sort of say in inverted commas, um, because in itself that is a piece of jargon. We're, we're talking about a particular uh, community uh, who speak in a particular way about particular things and use particular language about it, but small business that is, an, uh, you know, I would say probably a much bigger community, but has um, no specific terms for things that have attracted a specific jargon for the startup community. Um, talking to both audiences can be quite, uh, quite a challenge because there are an awful lot of things that we know about from serving small businesses traditionally with Aegis Accounting that we would have to use different language to describe to 
a startup. Um, and one of the most interesting ones that I've found uh, is bootstrapping. This is really like an uh, unusual concept, I think, to many in small business, especially if you've been established in small business for a while, that there would be a special name associated to the idea of growing your business naturally through early revenue. That just seems like the normal way of growing your business to, to, to most established small businesses that have been going for a long time. They didn't attract series whatever funding to get started. Yes, there is a place for shooting for the moon. Um, and venture capital has played its role in ensuring that they can throw money at a hundred different possible future unicorns where they really only expect one or two to be successful. Uh, where they make a you know, gazillion times over what they initially invested. Everyone wants to uh, seem to do that in that space. And so you're in an environment where people invest on you, uh, invest in you and your business on, on that basis. Um, but that's, I mean, that's not what we do at Aegis Accounting. No one's giving us any series, whatever funding. We, we, are, uh, we have pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps bootstrapping, if you're not familiar with that term. It's also used in physics, bizarrely. Um, if you've not noticed before, or you don't know me personally, most of these books behind me are physics books because uh, I have a real love of physics. Ever since my physics master's, I've continued to read on the subject and I really like it. And some of the models in cosmology of how the universe is developed are considered um, bootstrapping. <laughs> Just, you know, it, it seems to have got everywhere that term. Um, but the idea that you can, uh, startup, uh, that your startup can grow by naturally naturally bringing early revenue and then growing that and growing bigger and then becoming what you initially envisaged your startup could achieve. Um, but yeah, hoisting yourself up by your own bootstraps. Um, but yeah, to a small business, that uh, that term won't necessarily mean anything. Uh, to, a, to a typical small business that's not within that community, that term won't mean anything, but the process certainly does. So it's really interesting for us uh, wanting to talk to both of those audiences uh, to be able to take some of the concepts that small businesses have known about for a very long time and to convey them to a bootstrapping startup. Um, and likewise, some of the exciting uh, innovative ways that um, startups go about getting their early revenue to convey that to uh, people who are unaware of that community and are just considering themselves as a self-employed or small business and uh, are not thinking about to themselves in those terms. So if you are one of those unfamiliar with the other, uh, be aware in your search terms in Google that maybe you might want to use some of the search terms from that particular audience uh, as well when you're looking on a topic. You might find something there that's useful. Um, anyway, that was a little bit on jargon and uh, how using the right jargon can help uh, or using the wrong jargon can hinder um, because your audience may not understand the message, how that applies to us. And that particularly applies towards the next thing, which is uh, social media marketing. Social media marketing, along with sales and marketing generally that we talked about in the last podcast, is something that massively attracts vast amounts of advertising spent on you as a small business undertaking a particular service provider or tool provider to help you with social media marketing. It's such a massive buzzword in itself for marketing that you can't help but be massively bombarded by, um, you know, loads of tools, 
many of them great, some of them not, um, to try and help you with social media marketing, which is a nebulous and broad term, which you know doesn't necessarily have a fantastically brilliant definition, but you know it's got something to do with Facebook and Twitter and whatnot, right? Well, I think um, if you've been bombarded by a whole bunch of adverts and a whole bunch of tools you've become aware of that might help you with social media and marketing, or maybe even some um, people who provide services uh, to help with social media and marketing, I think the first thing you have to think about is what is going to be your purpose with social media marketing? What are you actually trying to achieve? Um, are you trying to do listening? Are you trying to sort of almost eavesdrop on a certain community, how they talk to each other, what they talk about, what their pain points are, um, and uh, almost like research? Or are you listening to how people talk about your own brand, your business, your industry in general, so that you can create content around that that might attract them in almost like a content model um, that brings people who don't know about you to you on the basis of what you talk about? Uh, are you going to watch hashtags on Instagram and Twitter and, and just sort of see, so what do people in small business in my area talk about? Are you going to do that? Um, are you participating in groups like Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups that talk on a particular topic? Are you going to put into that something of value for the group um, so that they may learn about you and you may genuinely help? Um, are you making native content to the various platforms that you um, that you are on? So, for example, this uh, this podcast is a video. It's on YouTube. I also put it on to Facebook because they have a native video uh, um, platform. If it's short enough, I'll put it on to LinkedIn. They've got a time limit, though, for long videos can't go on there. So where are you actually putting it? I did try and put the last one on Instagram TV, but that just didn't work. It came up with the fantastic error message, failed. So that was no help. Um, but native video is usually better, or native pictures, native content to the platform. LinkedIn has other kinds of native stuff, like you do blogs, blog posts, essentially, that live within the LinkedIn platform. Native content performs better under the algorithms almost, almost always. So it's usually good to do a native version of what you're doing, even if that means that you've got a video that's put in multiple places, um, because the platform that you're on will naturally promote that more, because they want their people, their viewers, their users, to stay on the platform. They don't want to drive people out to YouTube, for example, or they don't want to drive people uh, out to uh, different platforms to consume content. So they tend to promote things that work natively better. So are you, is that what you're intending to do with social media? Are you going to put content out like that? I think knowing what purpose you're going to have uh, matters a lot. But I'm going to talk a little bit about what we've done uh, so far and what we're, what we're doing. Um, as you can tell, native content is quite important to us to put things out natively onto those platforms and to share them into share them into groups that might find it useful or that kind of thing um, but different tools work for different aspects of those purposes so for example I, I quite like Hootsuite for listening because I can set it up on certain search terms uh, let's say hashtags on Twitter and Instagram and then I can just open up Hootsuite and have a little look and I can see what people are talking about to do with small business in our area and just see that um, and respond um, in the conversation rather than uh, constantly just blaring out um, and uh, you know not not spending any time listening uh, listening first uh, so that's that's quite handy for like almost a listening first strategy of like what are people talking about and what can I say in response is actually useful how can I offer some value into the debate um, there are a lot of tools for social media and a lot of them are very expensive um, 
comparably speaking. Um, software that does not an awful lot doesn't usually cost hundreds of dollars a month. Um, not a not a lot isn't isn't right. They 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 do a lot. They have to they have to deal with uh, the changes on how systems are allowed to talk to Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all these things. And those things change randomly, um, or almost randomly. Uh, I know there are an awful lot of great uh, tools which have lost their integration to Instagram because they made changes to their API, which meant that you couldn't do those things through a, a say a, a CRM or some other system like that. Um, some other marketing tool, you wouldn't be able to do it. Um, we have recently found one which we think is good for one particular purpose, which is posting. Um, not for listening, uh, not for watching hashtags, um, but for posting probably text and images. I may not use it for long form video, but possibly short videos, um, which is uh, a tool we've only just discovered this last couple of weeks, which is called Lately. Um, I quite like that it does six different platforms in one. I tend to ignore anything that doesn't actually do all of the platforms I use um, because I'll just, I might as well use the native tools. Um, there's only so many. Um, but this one looks really useful and not particularly expensive if you go over their, their rather generous uh, free, uh, free plan. So I quite like that. We're starting to use that to be able to post uh, on different platforms all at once. Um, so maybe releasing a blog post or releasing a video like this would be something I would post all at once across different platforms for. Mostly I like to keep the content relevant to the different platform. It doesn't make sense for me to put things on Pinterest that are the same as LinkedIn. It just doesn't make sense. There's a different audience in a different place. So, but being in one interface to do that that is off the platform I actually find very useful because the platforms, as I said in previous podcasts, are built to try and keep your attention. They are a constant source of distraction from whatever reason you logged onto it in the first place. They want to keep you there with your eyeballs on the content. I mean, if I went to my Twitter feed uh, to post, the first thing that would happen is I would see my Twitter feed, including a whole load of political things I might find repulsive and, and get enraged by, and it would take my attention away from what I'm trying to do. Um, I think attention is very valuable and you should hold on to it very carefully. So if you can use a third party platform that can simply post um, while you are simply posting, that's great. So found this, gonna give it a bit of a trial run for a couple of weeks, we'll let you know how it goes. It seems really good to start with. Um, they seem to have got around the Instagram API issues by manually logging in as you into Instagram. Uh, so you do have to be comfortable with that to use it. Um, I'm reasonably comfortable with that. It's, it's no big deal. Um, I trust them. They're, they're well advertised enough for me to think they're not fly-by-night company. They're, they're going to really try and do what uh, they uh, what they have advertised that they're going to do. And uh, I'll let you know how that goes. It's certainly a lot cheaper than many of the alternatives. Uh, and it seems like more, much more like the right price for what it, what it does. So we're trying that out. We'll let you know how it goes. Uh, we talked about IR35 briefly. Uh, we talked about jargon and whether jargon, what jargon should you use in your marketing materials? Is it going to work or well or not with your audience? And we talked about social media marketing and the many myriad tools that you might use. Um, as I say, we use Hootsuite for listening. We think that's pretty good. Um, and we use uh, Lately, only just uh, for posting, because we think that's pretty good. Uh, anything else I do? Oh, 
Gary Vaynerchuk is a fantastic resource if you're going to do stuff like this on social media. He's got a huge amount of stuff, a uh, huge amount of motivational stuff. I don't find that as valuable, um, but he has also an awful lot of tactical stuff, uh, like how to make 63 pieces of content in one day without it being a massive rigmarole. That's something he's got. That's great. Um, so for posting, that's, uh, that's, that's really useful. Um, so yeah, maybe check out uh, Gary V if you're interested in, in, in doing that. Um, definitely being active on social media is definitely a valuable thing for small business, but figure out what you're going to do, use the right tools to do it. Uh, and I know Gary V in particular likes to manually take whatever the content is and use his thumbs on his phone to put it out from his account uh, natively on the platform. Yeah. I can't hold my attention. I'm too easily distracted by the other stuff. So for me, I want something that keeps me off the native platform until I am going there to look at the feed, until I'm going there to see what's going on. Um, anyway, uh, I hope you found that useful. Uh, if you did, you know the deal, follow, like, subscribe, all the stuff, whatever it is that you do on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this on. And I look forward to talking to you in the next one. Cheers. Thank you.